0: Encourage, if you will, to take your copies of scripture and turn to 1 uh, Peter chapter 5. Um, if you don't have a copy and you have a worship guide, we have the text uh, printed there for you as well. Um, the Word of God is sufficient for us. God is gracious in giving us his word. So tremendously gracious. Uh, gracious in pointing us to truth. Uh, gracious in speaking to us. I've been working through Jeremiah these last weeks and just reminded over and over again the number of times in Jeremiah that we hear that the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah. The word of the Lord came to him. In other words, God spoke to him and spoke to him. And in speaking to him, was instructing him to speak to people that God loves and cared for. And so it has helped me to realize that when I am going to God's word, that I am going there and he is speaking to me, speaking to you, speaking to us. uh, Because he loves us. He cares for us. And uh, I hope today that even as you hear uh, his word read, as we already have, uh, that you would uh, hear it with understanding and that the Spirit would direct that to your heart. With that same mindset, God, the sovereign of the universe, is speaking to me because he is. 1 Peter chapter 5, looking at the last part of verse 5 through the end of the chapter, and we'll read it together. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another, for God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you. the God of all grace who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be dominion forever and ever. Amen. By Silvanus, a faithful brother, as I regard him, I have written briefly to you, exhorting and declaring that this is the true grace of God. Stand firm, in it. Stand for a minute. She who is at Babylon, who is likewise chosen, sends you greetings, and so does Mark, my son. Greet one another with a kiss of love. Peace to all of you who are in Christ. Will you pray with me? Father, will you in these next few minutes speak to our hearts while we are concluding what you gave to Peter to write Uh, to these uh, elect exiles. Uh, Father, would you cause your word to continue to take shape in our lives as we are reminded that you are God and that we are your children for those who have trusted in you in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. As we've given attention to 1 Peter over these last 15 weeks, we've seen that Peter has held up before us what seems to be two incompatible truths. Let's look at those two truths. That there is suffering in this life. In fact, we should expect suffering. but we are also, for those who have trusted in Christ, are children of God. Now, they seem incompatible because we would think that as children of God, that God would somehow another work in us, for us, around us, to ensure the fact that his children wouldn't suffer. I don't want my children to suffer. No one in here wants to see children suffer. We don't want to see them go through heartache. We don't want to see them uh, experience pain. We, we, we don't want that. In fact, as parents, we often find ourselves running in between the, what, would, what would bring pain, what would bring hardship, what would bring suffering. We find ourselves constantly intervening to protect our children. And when we think of God and we know that he is a loving father, he's caring, he's good, he's great. Uh, We sang that chorus that some of you grew up singing uh, today as a bridge in the song. My, My God is so big, he's so mighty. Well, he's big and he's mighty and he's loving. And those things are true. And we would think that God then, being who he is, being big and mighty and caring and loving, would do what? Well, our minds would tell us that he would stand between us and all of harm and all of suffering, and he would protect. And yet, what do we know about life? We know that suffering comes. Hardship comes. Some of it brought on by our own sinfulness. uh, Sometimes by the sinfulness of others. But Peter has tried to help us understand that These are not incompatible truths. We do suffer, but we are children of God, those who have trusted in Christ. These two truths join together for the purpose of helping us gain confidence in walking through the suffering, trusting in God. It's the reason this morning we sang, "'Tis so sweet to trust in Jesus.'" We trust in him through these things. Listen to what Peter has to say and we'll just kind of rehearse some of the things that we've heard to those who are elect exiles. Seems like two incompatible truths. They are the elect of God and yet they are without a home. Not really without a home. They're just in a place that is not their home. Exiles of the dispersion, And Pontius, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia. And then Peter goes on to write, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. All of this is grounded in the work of Christ. Resurrection following his death his sacrifice, his own suffering, as we hear over again throughout the course of Peter's letter, reminding the people Christ suffered. He suffered, necessarily suffered. And as believers, we suffer necessarily. To an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this, you rejoice. Rejoice in what? Well, rejoice in the midst of the suffering because we're looking ahead to that salvation. We're looking ahead to the time we are brought into the presence Of God to where to our inheritance to the very thing that God has intended to give his children he hasn't forgotten his children so when we look at the text this morning and we hear that God cares for you if you're here today and you've trusted in Christ just know that God cares for you I want to think about that for just a moment even as we work through the text Here is an eternal, mighty, all-powerful, big, gracious, good God that gives consideration to you in where you are in life and your suffering and your hardship and your pain and your struggles. But even beyond all of that, let's remember that he gave attention to your sin and my sin So much so that he suffered that we might have life. Might be spared his wrath. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, bore that wrath for you. He says, in this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes though it is tested by fire may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Then he goes on to say in chapter 2 and verse 11, beloved I urge you as sojourners, yeah, children of God he's speaking to, but sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which raise war against your soul. Throughout the whole letter, Peter brings these ideas together. For God's people, suffering always leads to glory. For his elect, for his children, it leads to glory. Now, I was thinking about it this week. We hear about being elect and being saved what does that mean? Well, it means just that, that God has chosen you. If you are here today and you're a believer, God has chosen you. And by the work of his grace through the Lord Jesus Christ has saved you. And that's enough, certainly. But we need to hear again today that he has done so purposefully. And he purposefully did this work and purposefully holds you and keeps you and protects you to the end. Not apart from suffering, but in the midst and through the suffering that he sovereignly ordains you to experience. That's true for all of us. That's God's pattern. That's been true of all of God's people. It was true for Jesus, and it's also true for us. Let's look at the text this morning that we read and see if we can draw at least a conclusion to uh, our time. First, I want us to see the significance of humility and suffering. I think that's what Peter has in mind. He tells us there, he says, clothe yourselves, all of you, Remember last week we looked at the elders and and how that was directed to the pastors, to the elders. And then he concludes that part and he takes and turns the attention to everyone. He says, clothe yourselves, all of you. In other words, put it on. Put it on like you would a piece of clothing. Clothe yourselves with humility, with humility toward one another. And he tells us why. He says so. He draws back on Proverbs chapter 3 and verse 34. Because God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Isn't grace what we need? We sang this morning that we long for grace to know Him more. Why is that true? Because apart from the grace of God in speaking to any of us, apart from the grace of God in anyone's life, none of us would want him, none of us would love him, none of us would long for him, none of us would look to him. And yet today we're saying, turn your eyes toward Jesus. Why? Because he is the very picture of grace. And as we look to him, God graciously works in us to cause us to see him for who he is. What does he say? God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. But what does that mean? What does that mean? Well, it means that God is against those who are prideful in heart. And those who are prideful in heart are not going to look to him, are not going to long for him, and not going to love him. They're not going to turn to him. They're not going to follow him. They're not going to cleave to him. They will, Booney, as you mentioned, they will ignore him. They will pass him off. They will be cold and despondent to God. But those who are humble, who realize they need God, they need God. Uh, We know that we need some help, don't we? Have you navigated through life this week without a need of help from someone? Maybe hard conversations, maybe dealing with sickness, maybe dealing with things that you did not expect to come up, maybe dealing with hardship and struggles at work, maybe just dealing with stuff inside of you that you have felt and it comes up and you realize, I have to have help. Well, who do you turn to? Who do we turn to? Well, we turn to friends and family and folks to encourage us and support us. But but ultimately, what we are realizing in the course of all of that stuff, we're realizing that we are not capable of navigating through life apart from help. We're not capable of it. And when we most realize that, then we realize that there is, is someone other than someone else who is as weak as we are that we need help from. And then ultimately we have no other choice in, except in humility to turn to God, to turn to him in humility, laying all vestiges of pride aside and come and turn to him and humble ourselves before him, cry out to him, You know, that's what a lost person does when he or she comes to realize the the heaviness and the weight of his or her sin. Realize I have nowhere to go but God. And we come and we confess. We rehearse each week what that looks like and our confession and our assurance of pardon. Every week in hopes that it brings back to mind our constant need of the work of Christ. I know we feel like at times that we're handling life and, 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 and we can deal with it. But that doesn't last long. We soon find that we can't deal with it. No more than we can deal with our sin. If sin is to be dealt with in our life, it will not be done in pride. It will not be done with us squelching it out. It will be dealt with when we come before God and we look to Him and say, My God. I have nowhere else to turn but to you. Save me. Please save me and give me life. The significance of humility. As Christians, we're called to humble ourselves under God's mighty hand. I think Peter is trying to help us. The emphasis there is that we need to humble ourselves before God and his mighty hand. Pay close attention to that. Humility is focused on God's power and authority. So when we come before him, we are realizing that he is the supreme authority and that he alone has power. We don't have power. We are powerless. I know we navigate through life like we have things under control, but we don't. We don't. And if we're honest with ourselves and if we live just a little bit of life, we realize we don't. But we humble ourselves before the mighty hand of God. His mighty right hand is a phrase that means that he is all-powerful and that he is the one in supreme authority. We're not called to humble ourselves under someone else or something else other than that we has, he has told us as we have heard through Peter that we are to submit ourselves to those authorities that God has under his mighty hand that he holds and controls. And we're not told to humble ourselves under some myth or, or some pretended deity. No, we're told to humble ourselves before the creator, the one who has created us and made us and who orchestrates all the events in the universe. Even your getting up this morning orchestrated it, where you got up orchestrated it, brought you here, orchestrated it. All before the foundation of the world, before, uh, but, but before, you ever, before you ever came into being, God knew that we would be here today. And here's the catch. When we humble ourselves in this world, we're setting ourselves up, and this is Peter's whole thing. When we humble ourselves in this world, we are setting ourselves up to be attacked. We are. We're setting ourselves up to be taken advantage of. Humble people get taken advantage of. Christ was taken advantage of. Now, now our, uh, our pride in ourselves says that I'm not going to be humble because I'm not going to be taken advantage of. I'm not going to let someone take advantage of me. I'm not going to let someone hurt me. And yet everything about humility says that we lay our lives out before people saying, you do what you do. Do what you feel like you have to do. But I'm going to walk before you in a spirit of humility and I'm going to lay myself out because I am going to love you this way. And then, what Christ did? Certainly he did. He laid himself out before the world and he said, Go ahead and take advantage of me. You know, even when Pilate said, you know, I have authority to give you life, Jesus, I've, I've, I've heard that passage of scripture read, and it's almost like G- it, people characterize it in such a way that it makes it sound like that Jesus in pride said, oh no, you don't. Jesus walked in humility before him. He said, no, you really don't have the power. You don't have the authority over me. That's the reason he said, I lay down my life for the sheep. I give my life. I give it. You take it. I give it. We've talked about that in the context of our our relationships here in the life of the body. One of the things that is characteristic of a life of a believer who's growing in grace is that he and she is willing to lay down their lives openly before their brothers and sisters in Christ, be hurt, be harmed, whatever it is, and not hold on to it. Not do it in self-righteousness, but to lay it out. Why? Because humility is at the heart of saying, here I am. It is an invitation to attack us, to wrong us. But at the same time, at the same time, we realize that we are held and cared for by God. Here's what the world does not know. This truth is what we must know if we're going to follow Christ consistently is that we can humble ourselves under God's authority because when the time is right, he will do what? Look at what it says. He may exalt you. When the proper time comes that he may exalt you, there will be a time of exaltation, but it will not come before suffering. It will not come before hardship. It will not come before testing. Does that mean we're waiting to be exalted? Yes. More than that, we are waiting for God to do his work when he is ultimately exalted in a way that his name is spread out over all of the world. When he is honored and glorified. Our true exaltation as believers come when God is ultimately exalted, when we are looking at him and realizing that all things are settled and that he is most glorified. And as John Piper said, when he is most glorified, then we find ourselves most glorified. Why? Because he's the one that we look to, the Lord Jesus Christ, the one who has died for us and given his life for us. There'll come a day when we will be exalted over all our enemies. We will be given the status that we are tempted to fight for now. When we are trying to walk in self preservation, when we are trying to place ourselves above others, it'll not happen now, but it will happen when the time is right. It may not even happen in our lifetime but it will happen at Christ's return, if not sooner. That's what Peter is saying. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that at the proper time he may exalt you. Uh, Peter draws from Psalm 55, and I'll just turn your attention to it to two verses. He says, cast your burden on the Lord, and he will sustain you. He will never permit the righteous to be moved, But you, O God, will cast them down into the pit of destruction. Men of blood and treachery shall not live out half their days, but I will trust in you. I know we hear that a lot and we say that a lot. I will trust in you. I want to encourage you. Establish now in your heart, I will trust in God. I will trust in God. If you're here today as a believer, you you have said that as much by saying that I recognize that God is good and that He has saved me in the Lord Jesus Christ. But live our lives as trusting in Him. Trusting in Him. And if you're here today and you haven't trusted Christ yet, do so today. Trust in Him and in His goodness. Peter shows us that the way David dealt with his affliction is the same way that God desires all His peoples who struggle is to trust in Him. It is saying, Father, I trust You in all things. I know that the struggle within me, I know the struggle within the realm of Your sovereignty But rather than worrying, I'm going to trust in you. Rather than abandoning my faith, I'm going to trust in you. Rather than wavering in my faith, I'm going to trust in you. Why? Because you're the one who has the mighty hand. You are the only one that I can trust. Did you know that today? that God is ultimately the only one that you can trust. He is the only one that will never let you down. There are other people who love you and care for you and long not to let you down, but they will. Even unintentionally, they will because they are not whole and complete and righteous. But God. Lord Jesus Christ, He will never let you down. He will never fail you. God is trustworthy. He's trustworthy. Notice what verse 7 says. Casting all your anxieties on Him. Why? Because He cares for you. I want to urge you today. Whatever it is that you have that is weighing heavy on you, in as much as you can and know how. Lay that out before God. Just lay it out before God. I can tell you that He cares about you, cares about where you are. He cares about your struggles. He cares about what's going on at home and He cares about what's going on at work, cares about what's going on in your mind, cares about what's going on in your heart. He really does. He cares. And Peter is reminding his brothers and sisters who are going through suffering and hardship, cast your cares on him. He cares for you. When you're afraid, lay it before him. When you're concerned, lay it before him. I had some brothers in Christ gather around me this morning and prayed. And as Adam prayed, he reminded that there is a tendency for us to worry about things. Just even this past week I've been reminded again of just uh, how fragile life is. My, my daddy had an episode and uh, it was tough and I had to leave work and go and be with him. And, um, and, and the Lord has been gracious in the course of that. Uh, just yesterday uh, my granddaughter Lola uh, had something come up. She's in Chapel Hill this morning seeing a Um, a pediatric neurologist uh, just all of a sudden just, just came up and reminded that everything can be good one minute and then everything can be not good in the next minute. And God cares about that. He cares. Cast your cares on Him. second thing I believe that Peter is trying to help us understand is the significance of understanding that we have an adversary. Notice what he says, casting all your anxieties because he cares for you. And then he turns into some imperatives here, some directions, some things that we need to do. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Be sober-minded and be watchful. And there's a reason for that. And he tells us what that reason is. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. In other words, you are in the scope of his purview and his lens as a believer. He is looking to you to devour you. And, and we understand what Peter has in mind is, is that he is working to get you to abandon your faith in God. Resist him firm in your faith. That's that's the point. He is after you to destroy you, to tear you down, to rob you of the confidence that you should have in God, to tear your faith down, to cause you to fall, to cause you to falter. And how do we deal with this? Well, we look to the grace of God. We look to the grace of God in the faith that he has given us. Faith to keep us in the point where we are watchful and mindful of these things and also where we are thinking clearly. term sober-minded means to think accurately about your situation. In other words, do not misinterpret your circumstances. Don't misinterpret your situation around you. Two things, don't make it worse than it is when it's not, and don't make it less than it is. Look at it for what it really is. How do you do that? Well, we pointed you already today to the Word of God to give you some understanding about where you are, to look to God, to ask for wisdom, to ask for direction. Saying, God, Show me what this is around in my life so I'll know how to navigate through it. Most of us travel today, and I remember the day of the the triptychs and those kinds of things from AAA. We don't use those anymore. Uh, We Google and we find directions, but just even this past week, I was trying to go from one point to another in another city, uh, and I knew how to get to that point from the direction that I normally would be coming from. But because I was coming from a different direction, I, I, didn't, I, I, didn't, I didn't know how. So I, as limited and challenged as I am in the area, I kept on until I, I figured it out or Google figured it out for me. But the point is, is that I had to have some direction so that I would understand my circumstances so that I could get to the place that I needed to go. God's Word does this for us. Prayer does this for us. Together, as we are trying to navigate and read where we are in life. This also means that we need to be self-controlled. We need to be self-controlled in the midst of our suffering and our struggles. But what does that mean? I'm controlling myself. No, we're looking at these circumstances, relying on God and not letting our minds run ahead of us not letting fear get out in front of us. And that's what Peter is encouraging him to do. He said, casting all your anxieties, all your fears, all your struggles, because God cares for you. And then he says, and and in addition to that, be clear thinking about your circumstances and be watchful and aware that there is an adversary. And that adversary is the devil and he is real And then he gives us the reality of what he intends on doing to us if he can. And that is that he prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Seeking to tear our faith down. So we need to think accurately. During a trial we... May begin to think that God doesn't really love us. And that was Peter's whole point. Don't take your suffering and think somehow that God doesn't love you. Let me say this today this coming up week, when you run into a set of circumstances and challenges that you have not anticipated and they are hurtful, don't think that God doesn't love you and doesn't care for you. He does. He does. And now, what? Isn't that what Satan tried to do with Job? Tried to get Job to be convinced that in the midst of his struggle and suffering, that God really didn't care about him? In fact, that was, that was Satan's whole argument, wasn't it, when he came to God? He said, Yeah, you say he loves you and he trusts you, God, but you take your hand off of him and you let a little bit of hardship, you let him hit a rough patch in the road. And you will realize that he doesn't love you. He doesn't trust you. His faith is not in you. He is not going to hold on to you. Just let that come. But God kept Job and held him through the midst of all that came to him. And when we think of suffering, Job becomes the... the the picture that we see the one who has lost the most hurt the most, suffered the most and yet God sustained him as a believer expect to be expect to be targeted to tear your faith down John wrote in Revelation chapter 12 and verse 17, Then the dragon became furious with the woman and went off to make war on the rest of her offspring, on those who keep the commandments of God. In other words, if you are seeking to be faithful, expect suffering and hardship to come. Suffering and hardship is going to meet us anyway. But remember, we're not just talking about suffering and hardship. We're talking about suffering and hardship because we long to bring honor and glory to God. That's what we're talking about. Don't miss that. It's because we have set our eyes on Jesus. We have set our eyes on Him. We have set our eyes on being with Him for all eternity. We have set our minds and our hearts on bringing glory to him because he deserves to be glorified and honored above all else. And we have set our minds on this in our life. We've set our hearts to this. This is our course, and we should expect suffering And that's what Peter has been telling us. And we should expect hardship. And that suffering and that hardship is ultimately going to come from the hand of God. And God is going to, yes, allow, as he did with Job, he's going to allow Satan to be a part of that because God rules and reigns over him as well. But he's doing that to refine our faith. He's doing that to purify So Peter tells us to be watchful for Satan's deceitful ways. And how do we remedy that? Well, we remedy that by standing firm in faith. Paul had a little something to say about this. Turn over to Ephesians chapter 6. Just a minute. He gives us an equal word. He says, finally, in verse 10, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. He puts it in perspective. This isn't Paul is talking to real people just like you and me, okay? Talking to believers. For those of us who are here and we've trusted Christ, he's talking to us and he's helping us see that this is what we struggle and wrestle against and with. And he goes on to say, Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm, which is exactly what Peter said. He says, stand firm into faith. Paul was saying, stand firm into faith. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and as shoes... For your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace, in all circumstances take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all flaming darts of the evil one. That's the incredible thing about the grace of God and the faith that He gives us. That's the reason in our catechism today we turned our attention to the Word of God. Where is that faith grounded? That faith is grounded in the God who has given us his word. Where is that faith strengthened? It is strengthened by us reading and memorizing and resting in and pointing to and turning to the word of God. Because it always stands. It always stands. And that is our shield that we put up. That is the shield we get behind. that is the grace of God in his word that strengthens our faith. That's how we resist Him. That's how we resist the devil. There's another thing I believe that uh, we need to see here, and that is that we persevere because suffering leads to eternal glory. We persevere because suffering leads to eternal glory. Look at verse 10. And after you have suffered a little while, I had a... um, Uh, I had a seminary professor, he had this sermon, and he called it The Little Whiles. And he actually tracked through Scripture, and he had all of these little whiles that are mentioned in the course of text. And uh, he uh, he was a wordsmith, and he was a master of words. But I thought about that again today. Uh, and just in the moment when I read that word there again, a little while, because after we have suffered for a little while, you know what Peter is trying to do? He's trying to help us put in perspective suffering. It's not forever. It's not all day, every day. It's not for eternity. It's only for a little while. And he said, so after you have suffered a little while, that does give us hope that there is an end to it. Okay. After we have suffered for a little while, what does he say? The God of all grace who has called you to eternal glory in Christ will do what? And here's the hope. We will be restored, we will be confirmed, we will be strengthened, and we will be established. We will be established. He explains what true grace looks like. True grace looks like we only suffer for a little while. And then God, this mighty hand, this one who is control of all things, this one who has brought the suffering, this one who has brought the suffering directly to you for purposes that you may not realize yet, but it is only for a little while. But then here is what will happen. And this is what Peter wanted them to hear. You'll be restored Confirmed, strengthened, and established. Restored, meaning that there are some things that are lost in suffering. Think about Job. Think about the things that he lost in the midst of his suffering. There are things that are lost in suffering, there are things that are lost in life. God restores those, He restores them. Be confirmed. Everyone around you may doubt you. Everyone around you may look at you as though you are foolish. Everyone around you may disdain you because of your suffering, because in our life and in our world, unless we really care about people, we stay away from those who suffer. We don't want to get involved in it. We don't want to hurt with them unless we really love people and care for them. And then we will. But God is the one who confirms us when everybody else has abandoned us, and then He strengthens us. What does that tell us? It tells us that we can expect and should expect in the midst of our hardship and struggles to be weakened. We won't be vibrant. We won't be on top of the world, so to speak. We we won't look like winners, we'll look like losers may feel like a loser because we've lost and we're weak. And yet God, at the end of all of that, in the eternal glory in Christ, strengthens us and holds us up and establishes us. In other words, when everything else has knocked the wind out of us, when the wind is completely out of our sails, completely, God establishes us. That's the point. To what end? Look at verse 11. To the end that he has dominion forever and ever. To the end that he has dominion forever and ever. He's trying to help us, trying to help us see, trying to help his Brothers and sisters in Christ, see and understand again. There seems to be two incompatible things, being a child of God in suffering, and he is trying to erase that, at least in our mind, being incompatible, but being real and being true. We have suffering and pain and struggles coming to us. It is coming. They are coming. And we need to know that God will sustain us and hold us and keep us because he has brought that to us. And then there is what he calls the true grace of God. Look in verse 12. By Silvanus, a faithful brother. Now, notice that Peter is reminding us in this text that we read today two things. One, We have brothers and sisters in Christ who are struggling at the same time that we are struggling. That means something. At the same time that we are struggling to see a church planted and strengthened and to see people discipled here, we have brothers, we prayed for two of them today, then they are working on that end and Tubzia and Kupabugu, and Wandu, they are working at that end to see the same thing established. We're different people, different cultures, but we are at work investing in the same thing because God is at work there and He is at work here. And just they suffer there, we suffer here. We disciple here, they disciple there. This past week I was talking to Ishmael and he just. He brought me up to speed again. He said, please pray for us as we did this morning. Uh, He said that uh, there are some churches that do not preach the gospel. So they're, they're they're not a real church with a real gospel. But they are there in the community... They're in Tubzi and Kupabugu trying to get their foothold in there. And one of the ways that they do that is to go against everything that we have been studying here in 1 Peter. And that is is that they are preaching a prosperity gospel. And, and they have resources. They have money. So they have come and they have promised the chief that they were going to build a building. And Ishmael is coming behind and saying, chief, just hold on just hold on, building's not what you need here. Building's not what you need here. What you need here is to see the lives of people changed by the gospel. Buildings will come, the gospel is paramount in all that we do here. That building will be built, and it'll be built be just like the last building that was built, and it will fall apart. The gospel at work in our lives does not fall apart. No, the gospel, the grace of God in Christ at work in our lives. The grace of God at work in our lives does what? Well, we just read it just a moment ago. It restores, it confirms, it strengthens, it establishes. It doesn't decay. But he also says here that not only do we have that taking place, in other words, we have brotherhood throughout the world that's suffering and experiencing these hardships. In verse 12, he points to one brother in particular. He said, a faithful brother, as I regard him, has been a part of this work, exhorting and declaring that this is the true grace of God. And then what does he say? He says, stand firm in it. Stand firm in it. So, uh, where does that leave us? Well, as a conclusion for today, it leaves us, and the charge is, is to stand firm in the gospel. Stand firm in the gospel. There's nothing else. There's nothing else to stand on. Everything else will be a shifting sand unless we stand on Christ, the one who suffered for our sin, who in humility gave himself for us, suffered for us, died for us, was raised again that we might have life. You say, will we ever leave the gospel? If we ever leave the gospel, we have left our hope for life. So the answer to that is, is no. We hold up Christ before us here today to say, trust in him. So if you're trusting in him, continue to trust in him. And if you have not yet trusted in him, then today in the quietness of your heart, cry out to him, in humility, and say, I need you, I need you. I know you have died for my sin. Save me, save me. I long to live for you. Let's pray together. Father, our prayer is today that we will long to live for you, long to live for you when we suffer, long to live for you when we prosper, but just long to live with you above all else. Long to be in your presence, knowing that you have given us an inheritance that is undefiled, that is imperishable, and that you are holding it and keeping it for us. And in that, when we come into your presence, we will finally, no matter what has taken place in the course of this life, we will be strengthened, we will be confirmed, we will be established because you are the one who mighty hand rules and reigns and because you care for us help us to see that above all else Lord God would you strike everything else from our minds and our hearts and cause us to see your loving care in Christ in whose name we pray Amen.